on to the podcast today. It's great to see you. Thanks for agreeing to have this conversation with us. It would be great to, first of all, I guess, get a little bit of an understanding about yourself, kind of what you do, and then understanding kind of what transformation means to you. Yeah. So thanks for having me. This is just amazing. Um, So I am a life and weight loss coach. And what that means is that I help people um, lose weight. But, you know, it's so interesting because we think that weight loss is the goal. But what really happens is we change our lives and we become the weights and get the health that happens because of the lifestyle and the way that we think about things. So that the, the life changes and that facilitates the weight loss. So what I do is I work with my clients in the areas of eating, sleeping, exercise, and stress management. And um, I help them ultimately balance their hormones uh, through those things so that they can feel good in terms of having tons of energy, productivity, um, not be really super hungry, not have those cravings, not feel like they need to, you know, numb themselves out through drinking or overeating and have just energy to move and feel good. Sounds like a very, very interesting, but also, but I imagine a very challenging subjects to face into, because it sounds like as you explain it, I can imagine that probably a lot of NLP approaches and things come up for you in terms of reframing how we think about things, those habits and behaviors. Yeah. Is that kind of what comes up in these conversations? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's so interesting that you bring up NLP because um, NLP, when I learned the concept about behavior change and how, you know, the five different layers of environment, habits, skills, behavior, beliefs, and then identity. That was just a huge mindset in how I was able to coach my clients. Because before that, I was really focusing on environmental change and habitual change. And it was always so confusing to me why people Um, why myself, I was able to exercise, but I wasn't able to make the change in terms of eating. And I remember a long time ago, I uh, competed in a bodybuilding competition. And even after that, I was a personal trainer. And even after that, I wasn't consistent in my exercise goal. And, you know, I just didn't want to be one of those trainers who didn't exercise because there are a ton of them out there. And so I had tons of judgment on myself about that. But um, I started running and I decided to do a, a half marathon. And I remember crossing the finish line on the half marathon and just bursting into tears. And I didn't even do that when I went through my bodybuilding competition. Right? And that was a ton of work. And with my uh, with the half marathon, even though I had been running, I really hadn't been training for it, but for like six weeks or something like that. And just feeling this just emotion come over me after I crossed the finish line. And it was at that point that I really identified as a runner or as an athlete. And at that point, then my entire identity shifted and I became 
like exercise was just something that I naturally did. So it's really interesting that you bring that up because yeah, that has a huge impact in my business and my clients' lives. Yeah. There's two things that really triggered me as you were telling the story there. One was, one was as you explained, there's logical levels. So we yeah. have those logical levels that go up and go right up to identity, that identity level shift. And even from my own coaching, it's you can coach down on, on this spectrum of the, um, on the lower spectrum, I guess, of the logical levels where there's environments and so on. Mm-hmm. But what you find is that people may have a powerful conversation, a coaching conversation with you, but then nothing happens in between that coaching session and the next coaching session. So you might set a goal or there's something someone wants to achieve because, but because you haven't got to that identity level change, that change that really matters, it doesn't create enough momentum for it to actually kind of move forward and be consistent in that person's life. And the other piece that you mentioned as well around that starting with the self. So you mentioned the fact of, you know, if you're going to be coaching people around fitness and around kind of weight loss and so on, it's kind of, well, starting with yourself first. Actually, if you're going to be a fitness coach or doing something like that, actually doing some of the stuff for yourself first, because I can only imagine that must become much easier for you then to extend that to your coaches, right? Because you've already gone on that journey and it's a part of you rather than you trying to kind of coach them on something that you haven't experienced. Exactly. Yeah. So you can certainly coach people on areas that you haven't experienced before. However, it does make it so much more relatable to my clients when I can say, oh yeah, I remember when I hit that, you know, Mm -hmm. that wall and this is what I did to come over it. Um, what was really interesting in my journey was that I didn't really have any of these tools and it wasn't, so I was trying to communicate to my clients what was happening, but I really didn't have the words or the concepts to talk to my clients about that. Like how, when you see those levels And you realize, oh, I remember when I went through each of these and what the shift was for each of them. You can't really talk to your clients about that and say, well, the reason that you're not being consistent in your exercise is because you haven't made the identity shift when you don't even realize that that's what happened in yourself. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I fully echo that. I'm actually... Same, same trigger as Dave, as I was making a note on here, I, talk, I wrote about the self-work piece. Uh, and that's a nice connection with um, the levels that you talk about, because as coaches, we, we do a lot of self-work. And that's, that's the bit that you just explained about the connection between that shift. So it's, it goes beyond empathy, because needing to understand what a client or a coachee is actually experiencing goes beyond just empathy is is really having you yourself also gone through that and recognizing the triggers and the behavioral cues almost mm-hmm. that coaches and clients are exhibiting. That's oh, okay. I can see where they've got where they are now. They are facing into this or they are facing potentially facing into that without judging and without leading. Uh, but yeah, that that is really really insightful. Earlier, you mentioned the goal um, about potentially the weight loss goal as the mm-hmm. goal, but then eventually, I think. It, just paraphrasing and how I, how I understood it, it's it, it's the beauties are along the journey to the to the goal. So the goal will be weight loss, but then the journey to that is that discovery of actually I enjoy fitness, I enjoy 
they're just working out, just healthy eating, healthy living and all that. And then the weight loss mm-hmm. comes as a potentially byproduct in inverted commas, as the goal, the initial goal that started. Would you say that that, that connection of the goal is potentially the, uh, I don't know, the beacon in a way, but the, the real essence of being on that journey to the goal is where the shifts and the real results happen? Yeah, so it's it's interesting that you bring that up because um, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that we think when we come when it comes to like diets and exercise, mm. I think that we think a lot of times that we're gonna be we're gonna have to do these sets of habits for a period of time. And then once we get to our goal, then we don't have to do them anymore or something's mm. gonna change. Mm-hmm. But what I hear you saying and what is true is that you kind of have to decide that this is my new normal. These are the habits that I have because of how I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to do them consistently, then weight loss really becomes the cherry on top. It becomes the, the bonus. And so when I get to my goal, I'm not really doing anything different. So yeah, whether you think of it as falling in love with the process as you go along, or that this is just taking responsibility and doing what you need to do in order to live a long and healthy life. You could look at it either way. Yeah. I wonder if it gets to the point where, you know, you do those habits over and over again till the actual, the cognitive, the cognitive thing where you need to think of it, a habit slips away and it actually just becomes part of your behavior, right? So you just, you do it. It's an, an autonomic response rather than a, I have to think about doing this thing. So I have to think about eating healthy instead of, oh, I just, I just automatically pick healthy food. It's like, I, mm. I go down that path instead. I wonder how much of, it is that you've actually got to that point where you have reframed, you have reconnected your brain in a way where it's now just a part of you. It's your behavior and you're going on that. That is just who you are now. Right. So here's where it really solidified for me. And that was, so I live in Mexico. I used to live in the United States and I thought that I was just a healthy eater. But then when I would go on vacation, like to Mexico, I would just be like, I'm on vacation and, you know, eating chips and guacamole and having, you know, margaritas. And it wasn't until one time we went on vacation and sure, I had some margaritas, I had some chips and guacamole, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I need to eat all this because I've been deprived. It was a completely different way of looking at eating and that it was like, I don't eat like that anymore. I just, when I'm on vacation, I'm letting loose a little bit. I'm enjoying the local culture, but this is my new normal. And I don't feel good if I overdo it and go all in. So I think that, yeah, it kind of has to go back to identity. Like when I'm, I can do all of those healthy habits when I'm like on plan but, and I'm using air quotes there for people who aren't watching us. Um, but when I go on vacation, then, you know, I'm not on plan versus thinking of it as this is just the way that I eat. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that like that connects with the whole. It's just who you are, right? It's, just, it's not something you're doing as a as a list. Oh, I'm, I'm at home, mm. but the structure yeah. right, to make sure I eat healthy, and then you know, it's then probably any excuse for you not to be in that structure. So when you're out, <laughs> it, it's like, oh, okay, I've got I've got a bit of freedom. I can be this other person. So yeah, once it becomes you as a whole, then it's everywhere you go, whether you're on holiday, you're at home, you're at work, it doesn't really matter. Right. And it's at that point that you really have honed into this is my identity because then you don't feel guilty if you have a cookie or you don't have fear if you have a piece of cake for fear that, you know, you're just going to topple over and create this spiral of, you know, bad habits that, you know, one cookie or one meal isn't going to send you over the edge. And on the other side of that, then like if you get injured and you can't exercise, you know that everything's going to be okay because that's just part of who you are. And even though you can't exercise, you respect your, um, your hunger cues enough to know your hunger is going to go down when you're not as active as you would be normally. I know that when we originally spoke, you mentioned um, some really interesting stuff. You articulated it as a midlife crisis for women. Be really interested. I don't know if you've got anything to share around that piece. Yes, <laughs> I have a ton <laughs> of stuff to share. So yeah, like I think that right now we are experiencing a lot of women who are in the early to midlife crisis happening going on, where there's just this awakening of you know, who am I? Who do I want to be? Is the life I'm living the life that I've chosen or that I've just default said yes to? Because so many of us, I think, can get caught up in that, that decision of what's easy versus what's the right decision. I see it a lot with parents when their children are having a temper tantrum. Do I want to stand firm to my goals or what we're trying to achieve as a family? Or do I want to give in and give this two-year-old who's screaming on the floor what they want? So I think that that can also happen with us and our goals or our health is that making the the easy decision over the right decision. Hmm. And after a period of time of making the easy decision, we wake up one day and we're like, how did I get here? I don't even recognize who I am anymore. And for many folks, and I'm not even going to say women, but for many men too, that you know, we go around trying to make other people happy. And what we end up doing is tempering our own wants and needs so much so that, again, this midlife crisis is people waking up to, what do I even like anymore? What kind of music do I enjoy? Uh, what kind of food do I love? Do I like to salsa dance? I don't know. I've never tried it before. And so it's really kind of uncovering that because I think a lot of us use food and alcohol and Netflix and social 
to numb those parts of us or to bring us a false sense of joy when we're not experiencing it in our lives. Yeah, very powerful description. When you're explaining it, what comes up for me is and myself and Quasi have been in conversations on other podcasts as well where you know, we talk about this kind of happening quite a lot where actually a lot of people's goals and dreams were never their own in the first place. They're, they're, mm. they're just someone who's gone through life and people have said, oh, you must do this or a societal thing has said, oh, you must be this person. And then they've done that. And then the next point is something else has told them, oh, they must do this. Mm. And they've kind of got to that point where, even to the point where, you know, when you look at the C-suite, when you get there, it's like, have you done the work to figure out, as you say, what do you actually enjoy? Who do you want to be? What are your actual goals? Beyond the fact that you want to get results and have that success, but who do you want to be? Like, what does that mean to you? What are your, your personal goals and aspirations? So I really kind of, yeah, connect with that piece in terms of, people struggling with that it can be a big realization point when you come to that and you say well like why am I doing this mm-hmm. yeah. well yeah and I have to imagine that with so many men that you get a job and then you're offered a promotion and of course you take the promotion because that's what you're supposed to do right and you no one even questions like do I want this job or do I like what I'm doing? And so you find yourself then at a point where you're questioning, like, again, like, how did I get here? Or, you know, I don't like what I've become or what my life has become. And by that point, there are so many other people, a wife, kids who are counting on you providing the same level of support that you have before. So how do I tell them that I don't want to do this anymore and I don't know what I want to do, or I want to be a coach or I want to be an art teacher or, you know, something completely different that from the outside looks irresponsible or crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can resonate because um, I, I, I went through that s- switch a few years ago because I, I, I started out when I graduated as a different I was in a different completely different role just taking along right again if, if we bring in a bit of a cultural background to this from the African background you are if you're an engineer great if you're a doctor great if you're a, a, a someone doing other medical professional or whatever it is great there are the other things that are not particularly well encouraged by the cultural um, beliefs. So there is that element, go to university, do this, graduate, find a role, and that's it, great. Get the promotions and do that. So I switched completely after I discovered something that I, I enjoyed doing. I think I was about two years into my career and I thought, this thing is more me, so I'm gonna explore it. So I, I, I can really empathize and resonate with that because there are a vast majority of people that based on family backgrounds and, and situations at home or whatever it might be, even the, the, the identity that we're talking about here, that they might not have the courage or the facilities available for someone to help them to kind of see that it's okay to pursue what you really enjoy and what you love to do, right? And not be not feel that it's um, you're shaming your family name or, or your background or something like that. It's, it's okay. It'd be good to understand or to know if you've, helped some of your clients through some of these shifts, whether you've had some clients that have found themselves, it sounds like uh, some of them have found themselves in the midlife crisis uh, way and how do you help 
discover for themselves how they can move forward. That's really great. Um, yeah, it's something that, you know, in my path, I every time that I have refreshed or started mm. over, I've had a couple of them in my life. Um, it's been an awakening of, you know, we think that we're going to disappoint other people, but especially like our family and so on and so forth. And where I have come away with this on my own is understanding that this is my life and only my life. And I am responsible to really only myself for having, I don't want to say a good life, but a, a productive life that we are all responsible to ourselves. No one else has any skin in the game for telling us what we should and should not do. Now that doesn't mean that we can just, you know, walk away from our responsibilities if we have kids and, you know, family and Mm. uh, parents and so on and so forth. But I think that that's probably the key there is that we're afraid of disappointing other people, but we also have the responsibility to not disappoint ourselves. And so for my clients, one of the things that I coach them to do is when they are shirking away from doing something that they want, Mm. or when they're saying yes, but they don't really want that to do that. Mm. Okay. What I ask them to do is ask themselves, if I loved myself, what would I do? Or what would that look like? And then the other question that I have folks ask is, if it's a relationship issue, how do I want to show up in this relationship? And those two questions can be really super powerful in terms of reframing or recentering us in our decision-making. Very powerful questions as well in terms of getting to that identity level piece, like how do you want to show up? Who do you want to be in that moment? Yeah. So those questions I imagine when you ask it, sometimes you probably get that, hmm, and that's like settling into that silent space where it takes a bit of thought and a bit of time to really think about what that means, especially as you say, the, like the self-love piece. And if you were to love yourself, you know, what would that look like? And those type of questions must be questions that not everybody asks themselves. So I can imagine sometimes it's that, oh, that, that shock moment. I've never thought about it in that way before. Right. And it can be really powerful when making a decision, especially when you, you know, you love someone else. So let's say it's a child or a partner and they're asking something of you or they're angry with you or, you know, there's some sort of conflict inside of you like, oh, what do I want to do? Do I want to do X or do I want to do Y? And I really don't know what the right answer is. That's when you really kind of clue in with yourself and ask yourself, well, if I loved myself, what would I do? Because it's not always about doing what the other person wants. It's about standing up for yourself and exerting and being empowered in the relationship too. I think you mentioned earlier around how you support people, maybe people who have got difficulties with maybe maybe stress at work or finding that balance and kind of maintaining that life that they want to lead with also having maybe some of that pressure of being successful or being at work. I don't know whether there's any stories or anything you can share around that piece as well. 
Well, it's, it's really kind of interesting. So, you know, when we talk about people who are trying to be consistent in their eating or in their exercise, you know, as a health coach and life coach, I work with my clients in the areas of eating, stress management, sleep management, and exercise. And, you know, I always felt really, I don't know, weird about helping clients with the stress management piece. I've never felt like we've had a really good method of teaching people how to manage their stress. Yet, I can tell you from the dozens or hundreds of clients that I've had over the years that if there's one thing that keeps people from being consistent in their habits or gets people out of being consistent in their habits, so like, for example, a person who you know, is alcohol free. And then after a certain situation starts drinking again, or starts smoking cigarettes again, I've always been curious about that. Like, why did that happen? And it's usually about stress management. And so with the type of coaching that I do with my clients, it's about teaching people how to manage their stress beforehand as opposed to after the fact. And, you know, when we talk about stress management, it kind of couples in self-care. Self-care, when we talk about self-care, that sounds very girly and it sounds very, oh, manicures and massages and things like that. And it's also very expensive, but it doesn't have to be. And so we know that the reason that we're stressed out is because of the way that we think about a situation or an event. We know that two people can experience the same exact circumstance or event and have two completely different experiences of it. And so therefore we know that the way that we think about our circumstances are what cause us our stress. And so that's kind of what I like to do with my clients is teach them how to manage their stress ahead of time so that it doesn't create this cycle of being on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon. Mm, really interesting as you, as you talk about that. And what comes up for me is the, the other side of it, which me and Quasi work in a lot, which is there's one side of it where, you, like, where you're working to kind of help people manage their stress. But also when we say manage, like the word manage sometimes means after the fact. Because it's happened and we want to manage it, but actually you want to get right to the source of the thing that starts leading into it. So you get the signs of stress before the stress occurs. And for myself and Quasi, we we really kind of passionate and and dedicated on helping organizations to create environments that, first of all, don't cause stress in the first place. There's lots of unnecessary things that happen within companies that cause a lot of unnecessary stress and pressure on people and their lives. Mm-hmm. So if you can put a little bit more thought into that as a, as a company, as an organization, the, the widespread ramifications you can have on people's lives and how mm-hmm. they show up and how it impacts not just them, but their families, it's just, it's just huge. Mm-hmm. And often when we work in the organizational context, it's unfortunate to see that not a lot of attention gets paid to that and it's more on putting in processes and structures when actually if you work at the human level with the people and you understand the people that's where the real potential sits it's just great as you share that the connection between the two absolutely resonate with what they they were saying we see that very often when we um i think 
one connection I would like to kind of draw to that in the conversations that we've had is to the self-care as well. We've mentioned an example of the holiday element where you said, when I'm at home, when I'm on holiday, I eat well. Uh, but when I'm on holiday, potentially I kind of binge and I eat whatever I like. It's just a different self that has showed up. And again, as Dave and I work with organizations, we talk about, as he was saying, the humanistic side. It's one self. We are the same person at work and the same person at home. We don't need to suddenly just put a face on and that self at home stays and that new self at work shows up. So it's about how do we create those environments and that singular identity that we are, who we are, we show up the same at work and we show up the same at home. Being able to identify before it even happens, it's huge. Organizations will benefit massively if they did focus on, on the humanistic side of things. It's that authentic piece. It's allowing people to show up authentically mm. into, into work as they normally would. And I think that there's, you know, there's, a, there's that place where, and I've been there as well, you'll be in a certain environment and there'll be certain pressure and stress and you can almost feel yourself putting on that mask of like someone else and showing up slightly differently. Maybe you're behaving in a different way. Mm. You're, you're holding something back where you wouldn't usually do that. It's really important from our perspective to create things that don't allow that to happen. And I think that it just really connects with the work happening on both sides, the work that you do with your clients in terms of helping them recognize it for themselves, those cues and when it happens and how they deal with it. Mm. So they can maybe become a little, little bit more resilient and then the other side of it is helping organizations understand that to not allow this to happen to people. If we could bring those two together more powerfully, it would be yeah, such a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. And so what I do with my clients a lot of times is I teach them a method that I call thought work, which mm-hmm. is just being aware of what it is that they are thinking mm-hmm. and um, it's something that I did myself, but I started kind of from the feeling standpoint because we know that um, our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings drive our actions, and our actions create our results, which our results are a direct reflection of what we were thinking in the first place. And so I know that I was procrastinating, for example. I was a huge, huge procrastinator. And it wasn't until Um, I was reading a book by Kelly McGonigal called um, The Neuroscience of Change, where she was talking about procrastination and that when we uh, procrastinate, we're avoiding something. It's usually some anxiety or fear. And that really kind of got me into my feelings. And I never realized that I was so anxious before I started noticing when I was procrastinating something and then kind of feeling what it was that I was feeling when I was procrastinating and realized that that was anxiety and then was able to carry it backwards to my fear of failure. I was procrastinating on something because I didn't want to be, you know, called out as a fraud, for example. And so That's the type of stuff that I work with my clients on. And once we realize that all actions come from a feeling, then we can really start to change ourselves and then also realize that other people work in that same model Mm -hmm. 
that when they do or say anything, it's because of how they want to feel or how they think they're going to feel once they do it. And so we can have a better understanding within organizations and within our relationships of, oh, you know, this person said this to me and I'm having this thought that's true, which makes me feel bad and realizing also, you know, so once we deconstruct that model, then we can look at the person who said the thing and wonder, like, I wonder what made her think that, you know, she doesn't like my hair or whatever it was that she said, you know, what was she thinking or feeling that made her react that way? So it, it really kind of changes everything and it totally decouples stress at that point. Mm-hmm. Something came up for me that you mentioned earlier around recentering, and you've mentioned kind of feelings and people tuning into that kind of, you know, that sensation within them. And as you say these things, I kind of wonder if, you know, you've done much work in the space of somatics and the soma and how things show up in the body and sensations. And I wonder how much that comes up in, in your work with your clients in terms of them really tuning into those physical sensations internally of when things are happening and what are those trigger points? How does that show up and kind of what does that look like? Yeah, uh, good question. And I haven't heard of it called exactly that, but one of the first things that I do with my clients is I have them do what's called a body scan. Mm-hmm. I have them do it multiple times per day um, because I think that, and I this is for sure true with women. I'm not sure that it's so true with men, but maybe to a certain degree in terms of emotions that we really just cut ourselves off at the neck and our brain is up here in our head and our body is down there. And how often do we get upset with ourselves for our basic, you know, bodily needs that I have to break away from work right now because I'm hungry or I have to drink something or I have to go to the bathroom and we get upset with our body for that stuff. (laughs) So not only from an emotional standpoint, but also getting people cued into what their hunger cues are because, you know, we overeat because we're not aware of what's happening in our body. And then also we allow ourselves to get too hungry because we're not paying attention to our body either. And the same thing is true for our emotions that when we have this, you know, thought that's a negative thought or a positive thought, our brain sends out you know, hormones to our, through our body. And those hormones will then trigger things like a rapid heartbeat or a slow heartbeat or pressure in our chest or, you know, sweat or, you know, tingling skin. It's part of just being a whole person is experiencing all of our emotions because we think that we can get rid of our negative emotions, right? We think that if we can just have the positive emotions, but if you think of our emotional life as like a sine wave and that we can only go so high as we go negative. And so therefore we can't cut off the lower half of those emotions because then we also cut off the upper half of those emotions and we live just a flat, dull life. And I think that maybe that just goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of the midlife crisis where, you know, we're going through and doing these motions and we're just living at this 
zero point where we're not feeling a lot of high and we're not feeling a lot of low. And so we use things like alcohol and food and Netflix and all of those things that we numb on to give us those artificial highs and lows. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think one thing that showed up for me, as you said, that is this element of the emotions spikes, the highs and the lows. So I've done um, uh, this work, organization, relationship and systemic coaching. And there is an element in there that who knows what's good and what's bad, regardless of whatever it is, right? So good, there we have the positive emotions and negative emotions. They're all serving us in whatever is present and whatever is needing to be faced into. So face into it, accept it, understand it. Why is it there? What is what's happening? And really sort of dig, delve in deep and acting on it based on what is needed in the right process or using the right process and the right the right thinking. So that yeah, I could really, really resonate with that. You know, we always think of like anger, for example, to be a negative emotion, but anger will often teach us that our boundaries have been crossed, right? And so understanding that our emotions are there to serve us, they're not there to get in our way. The work that Dave and I usually do with organizations is, is, is essentially creating that, that environment. And again, that whole piece of the whole hum, human, the, the humanistic side, it always comes to that for Dave and I. We, we absolutely advocate and promote that and create uh, those environments we work with leadership teams to create those environments so it's it's really powerful it's really great to hear and what some other things also were showing up for me was beautiful analogies that potentially our organizations that we work with can re- really resonate with you're talking about your clients and the journey they go through and relating to to food for example so that element i'll use one example that you said about we don't listen to our body enough we make it too hungry before we feed it in that bad eating habit, that's a great analogy for organizations who don't let, who don't pay attention to what's needed in the organization, their people and everything that's happened until it's too late. Then it's like the yeah. burning platform. It's like, right, let's just reform everything. And it's too late. Um, so it's listening to the organization and listening to the organ within the organization, which are the people, the humans, and working on that uh, rather than wait till they're starved and then acting is just too late. That showed up for me. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. And just on that point as well, you can take that analogy. <laughs> you can take it to the other end of the spectrum where organizations can end up overfeeding teams. So they're constantly putting food in front of them, constantly putting things at them where they don't know what to eat and they end up eating everything, which means that they end up just making themselves sick. <laughs> there's, no, there's no other way of putting it. It's like, and then they wonder why this becomes an unhealthy environment. This becomes an unhealthy team because you're not supporting them in finding that balance. You're not supporting them in being a healthy team. So it is a wonderful analogy. I'm sure we could take yeah. it in many different directions. I guess a couple of things came up for me as, as you're saying that around those negative emotions and those peaks. I, I wonder how much like the judgment comes into that piece. So when you slip into a negative emotion, for instance, when you when you become angry, sometimes I, I think it could become the fear of other people judging you for how you represent that emotion or that behavior. Because as humans, we we all do that. We see something and I guarantee, like I, I do it, like you see something and instantly your brain tells you a story. 
before you can think about it, you've already told yourself a story. Mm. I find the trick is to then just slow down and ask yourself if that's reality or not. So there's that side of it and that judgment. But then I think also the other side is like the self-judgments as well. So, you know, you've ever been in a situation where you've got kids and maybe you're tired and maybe something's going on and you just get frustrated or angry and maybe you do something and it's like, oh, you slip into that kind of maybe judgment mode on yourself. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like, why did I react like that? And it's kind of... Yeah, as you were saying, I was, I was thinking about like how the judgment piece comes into it, and I wonder how that affects people in kind of maybe owning up to things for themselves and being honest with themselves. Yeah, so I think that we're, we are judgy people. I mean, it's just a fact of life. And so when we judge the judgment, that's when we just compound the, the fact, right? Um, but I find that we also have this feeling like we shouldn't be doing this or we shouldn't be feeling this way or, um, yeah. So anytime you're saying shouldn't, right, then you're judging it. And when we think other people are judging us, we are really just judging ourselves. Yeah. When we become aware of that, then, you know, the, the worst thing that we can feel or the worst thing that can ever happen to us is actually a feeling. Have you ever thought about that? Whenever we're afraid to do something, it's because we're afraid of judgment or failure or anything like that. And that's just a feeling, a set of sensations that are in our body. And Mm -hmm. so what keeps us from succeeding in life is really just our fear of feeling something in our body shame, judgment, anxiety, whatever. And Mm -hmm. so once you really get in touch with the physical sensations and how your emotions feel in your body and you can allow that, then you can be unstoppable. And become aware of it as well. Just really tune into that side of things. So the other thing that we do, when you said earlier, we spend a lot of the time, you know, above the shoulders and we're, we're in this space. Mm-hmm. And very little time really tuning into our own body, like bodily sensations and kind of what that means and kind of how we show up and how, you know, even our posture, you know, like just our posture can tell us so much about how we're actually feeling Yeah, if we pay attention to it. It's a wealth of information that we don't actually look at a lot, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. <laughs> One other question, and this probably looped a little bit back to um, the beginning conversation when you were talking at the start around people coming to you with maybe the goal of, I want to kind of lose weight or I want to become more healthy. I imagine in your work, is that like an intermediary goal in terms of they originally come and say the goal is I want to lose weight or the goal is I want to become healthy. But I guess I'm just thinking, is that an intermediary goal? Because it's like, what's even more important than losing the weight? What's, you know, imagine yourself, you've already lost the weight. Like, what is that? What is that impact it has on you and your life and so on? Right. And you know what? That's actually a really good question that I always ask my clients at the very beginning. Because the weight really isn't anything, you know, it's, it's what we think that we are going to feel or become once we lose the weight, right? Um, are we going to become confident? Are we going to feel accepted by our friends and family? 
why, why is it the weight? And the truth is, is that we can have whatever it is that we want today without losing that weight, unless we're talking about physical symptoms of just feeling bad. So, and that is the case sometimes. Uh, but oftentimes when people want to lose like 50 pounds or something that really isn't vast, but they just want to feel, yeah, more secure in their relationships or confident at work, or they want to feel like they're a better leader because they're taking care of themselves. And the truth is, is that you can have all of those feelings and emotions today. You don't need to lose the weight in order to do that because that's just your brain telling you the stories mm -hmm. that we were talking about before, like, oh, you're not good enough because you're not, you know, a size, whatever. It really becomes through the work, the weight loss becomes the cherry on top and they get to go through this journey of getting whatever it is that they want in the end and being able to, yeah, feel great about themselves, change their life. Hmm. Sounds fantastic. And I'm sure the people you support have those, you know, again, to quasi those aha moments and it's like real, that real breakthrough, right? That breakthrough and breaking through is that new life for themselves, that new person that they're going to become. So yeah, like fantastic. Yeah. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for um, sharing all the stories and all the beautiful things that you shared with us. It was an amazing conversation. It was really good to um, talk about this um, with you and for you to come on and share your experiences. We've covered a lot and this has gone way over into other areas that I normally don't talk about on podcasts. So this has been great. Thank you for leaning in um, with us and uh, it has beautiful conversations and I, I think I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I know they've asked and our audience will thoroughly enjoy it too. So thank you very much for coming on and accepting the invite. Absolutely. Absolutely.